Amen. Please have a seat. In the last words he spoke as he accomplished our redemption, Jesus from the cross said, It is finished. And when he comes again to fulfill the final perfect restoration, he's going to say three more words It is done. And we're in the middle of those two places. We live in the tension between it is finished at the cross, fully paid for, but not yet done. And so we're in actually week 13 of this series we're calling Already Finished, But Not Yet Done. It has been a month since we've been in Revelation. It has actually been since the first week of June or the second week of June that I was teaching in Revelation. So I'm pretty pumped today to just get back here and get to teach through this powerful book. One of the things I want to remind you of as we open up this word the next few weeks, and we're going to be in Revelation, Lord willing, for the next month or so, is that prophetic or apocalyptic literature, and apocalyptic just means unveiling, is full of symbolism and, and imagery where, where the, the writers, like Daniel, we've seen the last, the last month or so, or John, we're going to see now in Revelation, are doing the best they can to put into words a picture they can barely describe. There's a lot of details we can get sideways in, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on them. Not because they're not worth the pursuit, except that sometimes you get to the end of these little rabbit trails of what does this vision look like, and what really is going on, and how do we match up what John is describing here with what's going on in the world today, and, and you get to the end of those things, and you don't, you don't ever get closer to really knowing the answer, and you just lost the big picture. So we're going to spend most of our time talking about the main thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Revelation was not written so that we could dig into every detail. Revelation was written, was inspired by the Holy Spirit for John to write for us so that we would understand that God has a plan and he is fulfilling it perfectly in his son Jesus Christ. That's why it's written. So that's what we're going to spend our time looking at. Seeing like looking at these books is just simply marrying our physical reality with the spiritual reality that we can't see. So, so what John is trying to do here is mesh those things together. And it's worth talking about it for no other reason than, did you know that the second coming of Christ, that it is done, is actually the most talked about doctrine in all of Scripture? That, that the first coming that we celebrate every Christmas, and we do, we do four weeks of Advent here, and we prepare our hearts for, to celebrate his first coming, is mentioned 129 times. His second coming is mentioned 329 times in the Old Testament. And yet we don't spend a lot of time preparing preemptively for his second return. But we're going to have time today, Lord willing, at the end of this message, to do just that. Because that's what we're here to do today, is prepare for his second return. So as we jump back into this amazing book in Revelation, we are going to look at Jesus as the only worthy one. The only worthy one. Revelation 4 showed this image, what the invocation passage, it showed this image as, as the sovereign God over all creation. And it ends with, in Revelation 4, it ends with all of creation will sing his praise. Now we're going to look in Revelation 5 at a sovereign lamb who is going to redeem all things. And we're going to see him as the redemption as we look at what worship really looks like. So the question today is, what is your life worshiping? What is your life worshiping? Guys, we are all worshipers. We were created by God to worship. Every human being worships. 
Every moment of your day, you are worshiping something or someone. The only question is what? Another way to look at it is, what is your life living for? What are you really living your life for? Because what you're living your life for is what you're worshiping. In, and that could be throughout the span of your life, or it could be after lunch today, and everything in between. That's how we know what we're really worshiping. Guys, all sin, all sin, every sin I commit, and I commit many, is a worship issue. All sin is a worship issue. We are worshiping the wrong thing. But if we don't see it as that, we start trying to put to death our sin, which is good, without actually replacing it. What I talked about last week, repentance is replacing it with the worship of the thing that is worthy of worship, and that is Jesus Christ. So then we just tend to slip back into sin. So the question becomes, what, the question for the day is, what is your life worshiping? Because here's the truth that we're going to see in Revelation. There is only one who holds the deed to all creation. So with that, look at Revelation. Open up your Bibles if you haven't already, like I haven't. And look at Revelation chapter 5. And we're going to pick it up starting at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1 of Revelation 5. And I'm going to read the first five verses. It says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book or a scroll. Your translation might translate that word because that's really what in, in their vernacular it would have been. Written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in the heaven or, or, or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So the first thing we're introduced to is this, is this image in heaven of God on his throne and in his right hand, which is the hand of authority, he is holding a scroll or a book. It is, there, there's a lot of commentary about it, but if you looked in places like Jeremiah 32 or Psalm 2.8 or Psalm 8, you'll see that, that most people believe that that is the deed of the deed of ownership for all of creation. So God the Father is sitting on his throne holding this book that is sealed with seven seals. Now just so you get this picture of what that is, guys, I, I want you to understand, I want you to understand something. Because if you don't get, if we don't get this, you won't get anything else we see not only in this chapter, but in the chapters that are to come as we move forward. Guys, who, when God created everything, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. He created Adam and Eve. Who did he give dominion over the earth to? Who did he give rule to? Adam. He told Adam and Eve, you have dominion over all the earth. Here's the problem. Satan came along and convinced them otherwise. So now who rules the earth? What does the Bible say? Satan is the god of this world. He's the God of this creation. It doesn't mean God doesn't own it anymore. When something is stolen, like Satan stole the, the, the crea creation, and, and it doesn't mean that the real owner isn't still the rightful owner. It just means somebody else has possession of it. Right now, Satan has possession of creation. Here's the other part and how that relates to us at Adam and Eve, because what the Bible clearly says is that we have willingly partnered in the rebellion, in the giving away what was rightly ours. It's not just that we inherited it from Adam and Eve. We partner in that. That's what sin is. 
It's worshiping the wrong thing, the wrong way, not the right worthy one. And so we're partnering. And so what we're doing is we're willingly giving away our inheritance that God has given us. And the only way we can get it back, if you, if you willingly give something away, the only way, and now you decide, you know what, I really want that back. You see the light, literally, and you go, I want that back. I want back what I gave away. Somebody has to pay a price for that. I, you, if, I, if somebody gave it away, no, I, I want it back. That person doesn't want to give it back. Somebody better play, pay a price. That's what our redemption or the ransom is. If we don't get the, the understanding that ultimately Satan stole and we gave away what, was, what God had given to us, we won't understand why it has to be ransomed back. Satan, guys, it struck me as I was preparing for this, Satan knew, knows all of this. He knows everything I just said. That's why, if you remember in the wilderness, when he approaches Jesus, he says to Jesus in the wilderness, if you'll just bow down before me, because God is, he says, God, your father has given me rule of all of this. If you'll bow down before me, I'll give it to you. In a moment of worship to me, instead of to your father, I will give you everything. The thing is, Jesus didn't fall for it. The problem is, we do. Every time he tells us to bow down to something other than God, not every time, but too often, we fail. Now, what are these seals? These seals are seven seals, and the way a scroll, and I'm not going to take a lot of time getting into the details, we'll see it next week as the seals are unbroken. The, a scroll would have been written, it says it's, it's talked about how it's written on the front and the back. Well, on one side, it would actually list here are the details of what's going to happen in the world. And we're going to see some of that moving forward in Revelation 6 through 19. On the back side, it says it's written on the back. What they would write is, they would write, well, here's basically what the topic is. And then they would roll the scroll to that point and they would put a seal on it, a wax seal. And only the person with the authority to break the seal could unroll the scroll to that point. And what we're going to see next week is one by one, that scroll is unrolled by, or by um, the Lord. And we're going to see how on what one side it says, here's what's coming. On the, back si on the other side it says, and here's what it looks like. So one by one, these seals are unloaded. I love how in verse 2 he says, a strong angel comes to him. The, the, actually, the name Gabriel, I talked about the angels last week and how there were two weeks ago, I can remember what. And there were, th and there were three um, strong angels or, or um, archangels referenced. One of them was Gabriel, one of them was Michael, one of them was Lucifer who fell and became Satan. Gabriel actually means um, strength of God. So I'm wondering if, this, and oh, by the way, we also saw a lot of like how Gabriel always seemed very excited about talking about the message. So it says here, he's like, you can picture Gabriel up in heaven. He's like, so who is worthy to open this plan, the message that God is sending to the world? Because that's why he comes to Mary so excited. He just seems always excited to tell what God's doing in the world. So I'm wondering if he's the one standing there saying that. And then in verse 5, look at how it describes who we see is who we know is Jesus. He says, stop weeping for the lion is from the, is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He describes Jesus two ways. The, this elder does, it comes up to John and says, stop crying. He calls him the lion of Judah. Well, in Genesis 49, when, when um, Jacob is, is blessing all of his 12 children, Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob before he dies is blessing his children. And he says, the sept, he, he looks at Ju Judah and he says, the scepter will not depart from you until Messiah comes. 
That was like 2,000 years or so before Jesus came. God is calling his shot and he's saying, Jesus will come from the line of Judah. Well, I'm not going to take the time to tell you or to show it to you now, but Jesus' earthly lineage in both his father and mother are through the line of Judah. The other thing he calls him is the root and descendant of David. Right? Well, we, Jesus calls himself that. We won't turn there, but at the end of the book, in Revelation 22, he says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the first and the last, the bright morning star. So here's this lion of Judah that now we're going to look at, and it's bringing us to our second point. So there's one who holds the deed of all creation, and there is only one who is truly worthy to redeem and renew that deed that was thoughtfully stolen by Satan. So pick it up in verse 6. It says, I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out in all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who was sitting on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So get the picture, guys. He sees God holding this deed to all of creation. He sees a lamb as if slain. So a lamb who had died but is now alive walks up to take the scroll. Everybody's looking around going, who's worthy, who's worthy, who's worthy? And Jesus walks up. Guys, do you know that Jesus is referred to some 30 different ways in the book of Revelation? Like there's, just like as, as Abby was talking about writing down the names of God, in Revelation alone, Jesus is referred to 30 plus different ways. 28 times he's referred to as the lamb, and this is the first one. Why? Because the lamb slain was his role in the triune Godhead to redeem back for us what we willingly gave away. And so he's going to be, now, now the, se the seven horns, horns are a picture of power, so he, seven is the number of completeness. He's saying he is completely powerful. The seven eyes are the seven spirits of God that are listed in, I in Isaiah 11, I think it is, where he talks about that he's going to be full of these, of, of these seven spirits, which is just a picture of the completeness of the Holy Spirit. So he walks up and he's going to take this, the lamb who is standing is going to take the scroll from his father's hand. All the standing part really means is he has authority to do God's work. Because everybody else ends up flat on their face. Because it says the 24 elders and, and even the four living creatures, who we'll get to more of even next week. But the point is, he is the sacrificial lamb. Guys, do you know that he's always been the lamb? This isn't just like a revelation thing. This isn't even just a New Testament thing. Do you remember in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? Adam and Eve fall. They sin. God, God kills an innocent animal to cover their sin. Doesn't tell us specifically that it's a lamb, but it's a pretty good guess. Did you know that later on in Genesis 22 when Abraham has Isaac, the, the child of promise, and he's going to sacrifice him on the altar. He takes him up to the mountain and he's going to sacrifice him on the altar. And Isaac's like, um, hey dad, this isn't our first rodeo. We've worshipped before. And I, but there's one thing missing and it's, it's a, a lamb like to sacrifice. And Abraham says, God himself will provide the lamb. And he does. 
and Isaac is saved. Did you know that even in places like Exodus, so a thousand years later when Moses is getting ready to lead God's people out of slavery and bondage, and they're going to, that the, the lamb, the Passover lamb was slain, and the blood of that lamb was put on the, on the doorposts and lentils of their home so that, the, so that the angel of death would pass by? Do you know that in places like Isaiah 53, which was written 700 years before Christ, that he's referred to, and you're going to read about this this week in your daily readings, he's referred to as the lamb at least three times that was sacrificed for us? Did you know that in the New Testament, as John writes his gospel, one of the first things he says is John the Baptist says, what does John, what does John the Baptist call his cousin, Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's still the Lamb. He was the Lamb. He's always been the Lamb. He's still the Lamb. In fact, you'll read again this week in 1 Peter that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. We are bought back, not by gold, Peter tells us, but by the precious blood of the Lamb of God. He has always been the sacrificial Lamb. Guys, why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because Jesus earned the right to put it in our vernacular. He earned the right to take the scroll because he bought it with his blood. Guys, we, ha we, we cannot miss this. In, in, in verse 7, when he says, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that is one of the turning points in all of redemptive history. God is up there holding on to something that, that he, by himself, cannot just open because he's a righteous and just God. And he knows that Satan stole and we gave away. And so he's like, okay, this is my plan, but somebody has to fulfill part of this plan in order for me to crack open these seals. And up walks Jesus, the lamb that was slain, and says, I'm worthy. Guys, he was worthy to, because what's going to happen from that point forward that we're going to see in the next few weeks is he's going to renew all of creation back to the garden where it was before the fall. But he can't do that. He's not worthy to do that unless the price of redemption had been paid. The fact that he can walk up to his father and say, that's mine, is because his, his redemption was completely adequate. When he said, it is finished, he didn't mean sort of. He's saying, it's all done. It's all paid for. Bring me your, tell me, what they've, tell me what they've done, Satan. I don't care. I paid for it. That's it. Because we got to embrace that. As New Testament believers, we need to, we need to, we need to not just believe it here, but we need to believe it here. And when Satan starts to whisper his lies like he does to me every single day, I have to say, you know what? My lamb took the scroll. So get behind me, Satan. He bought me. But guys, the only way he comes back as this renewing, conquering lion that he's going to come back as, and we've seen pictures, we've seen evidences of that, is because he is the sacrificial lamb. Like, like we, I'm excited for that, for that Jesus that we saw in Revelation 1. Eyes aflame, tongue like a sword, mountains melting like wax before him. That's what he's going to come. We're going to see that again at the end of Revelation. But guys, the only way that Jesus is possible is if the first Jesus, the Lamb of God, came.
the first form of him in incarnation. The price had to be paid. He is able, I'm going to say it one more time, he is able to walk up to his father and take the scroll because he purchased it with his blood. He owns it. And if you're his, guess what? He owns you. There is no part of your life, there is no part of all of creation that Jesus cannot walk up to and say, mine. That's mine. Now, can we go, no, 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 I'm not ready to give it to you. Yeah. That's where we're worshiping the wrong thing. So the four living creatures in verse 8, a lot of people talk different, and we're going to see them again next week. It's the imagery of all of creation. Four is kind of the number of the earth. So the four living creatures stand on all, basically saying all of creation, all of the world. And then the 24 elders are an image of all of God's people who are going to worship him. And I love how at the very end of, the, of verse 8 he says, and, and they're these, these four living creatures and the 24 elders and the lamb, are, they're holding, the, each one is holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Guys, don't ever, don't ever think that your prayers go unanswered. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, sometimes he says not yet, and sometimes he says, you know what, I just got something way better planned, hang on. But every one of them is lifted up to the throne of heaven and they are brought to the throne by these beings. That's what we're seeing now. But I want to make sure of something because I, I maybe confused some of you last week. Guys, we do not pray to the saints of old. We don't, don't be praying to the 24 elders. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to St. Peter. We don't pray to, we don't, we just don't. We pray to Jesus. But well, we pray to God through Jesus. We don't pray to angels. Right? There's no place in here where it talks about that. We pray to, I don't, I don't even in my spirit, guys, honestly, and I hear it sometimes even in our prayer time. And, and I know I, I don't ever like approach it because this is just, I don't even like it when people pray, hey, dear Jesus. That, that sort of, that, that, I'm not saying that's wrong because I can't prove that biblically, but here's my thinking. We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray that again because not enough of you are writing that down. I, we pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's it. So like for me, I, our Father who art in heaven, you are holy and deserve to be treated as such. And because of what your Son has done, I can approach you in your holiness. And because of what your spirit is doing in me, I know what to pray. I've said it almost every week now in the last three or four weeks, Spurgeon's quote, right? Prayer moves the arm that moves the world. We don't want to forget, guys, that our prayers partner with God's plan. In some miraculous way, they strengthen the angels to do a fight to bat because we're on the same team. They, they help lay out God's plan. We've seen that. We saw that in Daniel over and over again. 19th century preacher Robert Murray McShane says this, if the veil of the world's machinery, so if we could see the spiritual world, were lifted off, how much we would find is done in answer to the prayers of God's children. Because if we really believe that, we would be praying, like, like Jeff was trying to encourage us in during the invocation time, we, we would be praying a lot more. And about big things. Because big things happen when we pray. 
Okay, so there's only one who holds the deed of all creation. There's only one worthy to redeem and renew it. So he alone, remember the question is, what is your life worshiping? He alone should receive all praise and glory and honor. He alone should receive all praise and glory and honor. Guys, if you just need a reminder of how powerful Jesus is, just go back and reread Revelation 1, the first chapter. Not right now. Read the last couple chapters. That's our God. That's our Lamb. He is the first and the last and the living one, the Almighty, the beginning and the end. All things came into being and through Him, and nothing has come into being apart from Him. And he came here to be the lamb so that he could also be the restorer of all things. And he's going to do it. So let's pick it up in verse 9. It says, And they sang a new song. I love that. So those of you that are like, why don't we do more hymns here? Well, because right here, it doesn't mean we don't. We do hymns here, but a new song. So we're, we taught, we're, we're going to teach you a new song today. So be ready. By we, I mean not me, because you wouldn't like that. And they sang a new song, saying... Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest of, of our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And then, guys, we see this ever-expanding circle of worship. So he's like, so there's these 24 elders and these four living beings, and now here come, like, the angels are like, they're seeing what's going on, and they're so excited. They're like, you can almost picture, like, Michael and Gabriel going, everybody circle up! And it says, and then I looked, and I heard a voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the numbers of them were myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. Don't do the math. It's just God's way of saying, Un you can't count them. There were so many He's saying, and they're all crying out together in a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Guys, oh, the worship scene there. Like, seriously. We can't, we can't, I mean, we can't even taste that. But we can get glimpses of it. Guys, Sunday mornings are really designed by God. The gathering, the corporate gathering. It's why... And I'm not going to get off of my soapbox on it, but it's why, it's why your, your Bible study group in your home is not fully church. Because what Jeff Abney was talking about, it's when God's people who are gifted and are brought together specifically into a local body and use their spiritual gifts together. Not just, we're not just worshiping, we're worshiping right now. Not just when the music team's up here. We are worshiping then. But guys, we will be worshiping in our fellowship. We will be worshiping when we're packing this place up. When, whenever God's people are gathered and using their giftedness, we are seeing a glimpse. Admittedly, it's just a glimpse. Not quite as powerful as what I just read. I get it. I get dust mopping the floor does not feel like this. But it can and is an act of worship. If you, because here's the definition of worship that we use here at Cornerstone. Worship is anytime we turn our mind's attention and heart's affection on him, praising him for who he is and what he's done. Worship is anytime we turn our mind's attention and heart's affection on him, praising him for who he is and what he's done. That's worship. That's what we're going to be doing. That's what we're doing here today. I love how 
this scene does give us, though, this beautiful picture of what I talked about last week and what we saw in Daniel is this, is this imagery of the physical, God's people, the church, worshiping, and here comes the spiritual, the angels, and together they are praising God. Guys, we, the church, is what Jesus is doing right now in the world. If you want to know what in the world God's doing, it's us. I don't mean just cornerstone. I mean any Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church in the world, that's what Jesus is doing in the world right now. So we should be about his business. Guys, Jesus made this really clear, that there's this marriage between the physical and the spiritual that we're afraid of. John 4. He's talking to the, to the woman at the well. So you can look it up that way if you want. In John 4, he says, you know what, guys, here's the thing. He's looking at her and he's like, you know what, here's the thing. The hour is coming and now is where those who worship God will worship God in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit and those who worship him will worship him in spirit and in truth. I think too many of us, and I put myself in this category, too many of us are, are very truth and not enough spirit because we're afraid. Right? I, I want to see it. I want to understand it. I want to know it. I want to define the words. I want to make sure that I've got all my doctrine dialed in. All of those things are, are important. The church is the pillar of sound doctrine. But guys, apart from the Holy Spirit, it's just words on a page. And I know that because for the first half of my 50 years, this was just, I read this and it was just words on a page. Until God made the spiritual eyes of my heart get enlightened. Because heaven is a place of eternal worship. Not the casting, we're not going to get into it today, but it's not casting your crowns before the throne. What, what they're doing here is not what we're going to be doing for all eternity. We will be worshiping him by serving him for all eternity. We will still be working. I said I wasn't going to go there, so I'm not going to go there. But there's, we're going to be doing lots of fun stuff without the sin. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be yard work without thorns. Right? It's going to be being able to, to have a conversation with somebody and they're your best friend all the time. The question for us is, are we really ready by how we're living, back to the question, by how we're living our lives, by what we're truly worshiping, are we ready to truly worship? Are we ready to just all in with our lives, spirit and in truth, be worshipers of the Almighty because He is worthy of it? I'm going to ask the music team or at least some of them to come back up and here's what I'm asking us to do. Guys, I'll come back up and explain a little bit more, but I'm asking you right now in the next few minutes as they do the first, this song that you would just make room in your heart for the Holy Spirit to move. Just make room in your heart and in your mind for the Holy Spirit to move. Get your mind's attention and your heart's affection on Him. Praise him for who he is and what he does. The psalmist writes in Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of their adversary. So right now, what are you worshiping? Here's what I mean. Right now, what is your mind on? 
Right now, what has your heart's affection? It could be something completely worldly. But it could also be something like, you know what? I'm just praying that my spouse gets what he's saying. Guess what that means? You're worshiping your spouse. Our worship, we can pray for other people, but that should flow from an attitude of praise towards who he is, towards what he's done. So right now, in this moment, what has your mind's attention? What has your heart's affection? So Father, I just pray that you would make the answer to that question, Jesus Christ and him crucified. For it's in his name we pray, amen. So normally, this is the time where we would have a prayer Sunday on a first Sunday fellowship or take communion on, an, on a, the other Sundays and today we're gonna get crazy. We're gonna do both or neither. We're gonna leave some space for the spirit to move. We're gonna bring the cross back up on the floor like we did a few weeks ago and there were, there were cards in your bulletin or you can pick one up in the back to just write your junk on it and give it to him. You can sit at the feet of the cross if you want. There are tables set up over here on both sides where you can just take communion by yourselves to get, I mean like as a family, but there's nobody there to lead you, just take it. There are going to be a couple of elder couples in the back. The Abneys and the Dawkuses will be in the back. If you need prayer for healing, for spiritual, physical, emotional healing, if you, need, if you want to tell them that today is the day I feel like my heart is coming to life in Christ, let them pray for you. The music team is going to do some instrumental music. They're going to sing. They're going to, I, I, I don't know what we're going to do. I'll come back up when the Spirit says to come back up and we're going to finish our time. Let's get comfortable with being uncomfortable. We can't pray for revival and then go, but I want it to look just like we always look. But guys, here's my question. And it's the question I ask my own heart. Like what else does he have to do to prove that he's worthy. How else does he have to show himself to you? Whether you're his or not, what, what, in those moments where we're so, where we're just glory thieves, we're stealing the worship that is his and putting it somewhere where it shouldn't be. In that moment, Doug, why don't you just see me as more beautiful than that stuff? Because I get that this message may not feel very practical. Like, what are five steps to a better marriage? How can I help my wayward child? How can I get better physically? What about my finances? I have this issue at my job. Guys, I'm here to tell you, this is as practical as it gets. Because if you will do this, if you will just worship him, it doesn't mean all that stuff goes away. It means your view of that stuff completely changes. For he has purchased by his blood a people from every tribe and tongue and nation for his father to make us a kingdom and priests for our God. Oh, that we would not be a people that would live in this, in this self-consumed idol worship or in this feeble faith like our God is somehow not big enough to take care of my problems. 
My goodness, he walked up to his father and he said, that's mine. Give it to me. I bought it with my blood. What does he have to do? What else could he possibly do to prove he's worthy? He says, come, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are heavy laden. You're burdened, you're broken, I get it, so am I. And then he promises, but you'll find your soul rest in me. Father, I just pray now in the name of Jesus Christ, through whom we can approach your very throne of grace, that we would do that in the next few moments that we would boldly approach the throne of grace and there find your unending love. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was just on my face before the Lord, he struck me with a passage I've used before, but you want to know what worship looks like? Like real, all in, just... Um, hold nothing back worship the life of Stephen preaches this amazing gospel message in front of the very people that put our Savior on a cross and it says when they'd heard this they were cut to the quick and began gnashing their teeth get this we pray to the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit it says, but, but being full of the Holy Spirit. Guys, do you understand that he doesn't leave us here as orphans? Not only has he purchased our redemption, not only is he going to come back and make all things new, but he sent his spirit to indwell us. Do you not know that you are the temple of the living God? That you have been bought with a price. But being full of the Spirit... He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened. I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of one called Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen, and he called out to the Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Wow. Only by the power of the Spirit. And having said this, he fell asleep. Guys, there's only one who holds the deed to all creation. There's only one worthy enough to open that deed. Right? So we should give him alone 
all praise and glory and honor because someday all of creation is going to sing His praise. Someday every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's where Jesus ends this revelation to John. So I will close with this. In verse 13 of chapter 5, he says, And every created thing that is in the heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea, pretty much everything, and all things in them, I heard saying, so, the 20, so God's people and God's angels and all of creation gather up at the end and say, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So Father, I thank you for the chance to do that today. But Lord, I pray that it, we wouldn't see just these moments as moments of worship, but that even as we continue to worship you in fellowship, as we continue to worship you as we leave here today, Lord, that we would give our lives away like Stephen did if that's what it takes, as our spiritual service of worship to the only one who is worthy. Lord, I pray for my own heart and for the hearts of everyone who hears my voice right now that we would simply see Jesus as better. Because He is. He is. And it's in His glorious, beautiful name we pray. Amen.